This message was recorded at the Christ Central Elders and Wives Weekend, an event organised by Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, christcentralchurches.org. That's good. Excellent. I uh, enjoyed our time of worship. It's a nice way to start, isn't it? Singing uh, a carol. <laughs> it gets you right into the Christmas spirit. I, I sort of uh, quickly glanced behind me, make sure Tony hadn't dressed up in a Santa Claus outfit, <laughs> dishing out the uh, presents, which would have been quite nice. I know you've been busy with the milk tray going up and down the... I thought that was you. I'm sorry, I must have got the wrong guy. It's, um, we've, Heather and I are just back from India uh, about uh, just over a week ago, uh, which was good. India's doing well. Uh, we've picked up, I've picked up an infection, as I often do, so if I get a bit croaky in my speaking, I'm just getting over a chest infection, but uh, I really wanted to make it here this weekend to be with you. I feel it will be a significant weekend. And uh, I just pray that I, well, Heather and I serve you well. Um, you have to take a little bit of a health warning when you invite uh, Guy and Heather because uh, there is, um, I do like to just go with what God's doing. So uh, it's probably not good to sit near the front row. It's probably best to sit back uh, if you don't want to be picked on. Um, so if God gives me things, I'll just ask you to stand up quickly uh, not leave uh, until, I, until, until I've finished. We've, um, we've had a great year. We, Heather and I, we went to, we took our youngest two to America uh, just after we did our Bible week, weekend or whatever. It, it was great. Uh, we went to uh, Boston um, and then over to Niagara and then finished in New York. And if you've ever been to Boston, just below Boston is uh, a place called Plymouth, named after, of course, Plymouth in our country, where the Mayflower uh, landed. And uh, if you ever want an incredibly exciting experience, uh, you can go and visit uh, Plymouth and find a life-size replica of the Mayflower, which was 90 feet long. Think of that, not, not a lot longer than this room and about 20-something feet wide. Uh, which, in which uh, 110 people uh, left England uh, to set out to begin this adventure in uh, the, the United States of America. And uh, if you go, go there onto the replica, you are given an instruction manual that actually everybody on board who is dressed as they were in those days will all speak as though they had just arrived. So you have to enter into the game of speaking to these people as if you too were back in 1620 and had understood the nature of their voyage and you could ask them. And of course, so you, you, you're gearing yourself up as you get onto this boat that, you know, what would they speak like uh, back in those days? And of course, I'm not good at languages. I'm not good at speaking to northerners. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a southerner. So I'm, I'm approaching for the first time this guy up on, this, up on the deck. And for some reason, you know what, when you always sort of relive these moments, it was like, Avashi Swabs, how are you doing then? And he, to which he said, 
Good morrow, good master. I am not a pirate. So, so I thought, I'm going to give this a large miss. And uh, we went below deck, which was fascinating in terms of below deck, where I, I tried again to engage with the conversation. Uh, and, and the guy who answered me... Uh, answered me with what I thought was sounding like an Irish accent. So I said, sorry, are you Irish? To which he said, those confounded Catholics, no way, in their idolatry. And he was very upset with me. So uh, I, I thought, I'm giving this a big miss. Um, and we left the ship and we went ashore. And ashore, there's what they call the Plymouth Plantation. And on the Plymouth Plantation, again, you've got all the buildings built as the Brits or the English would have done on the first arrival. And also on the plantation are some Indians, some tribal Indians descended from the original tribe called the Wampanoags. And they're there in their huts and uh, in old-fashioned sort of things. And you're reliving what it must have been like. And, and sitting to this tribal leader where he was saying, uh, basically, the British, when they arrived, they refused to learn anything of the culture. Uh, they built, he said, they built big drafty houses. And I said, some things never change, we still do. Uh, and, and he said, and the 110 became 55 by the end of the first winter. We would not engage with the local community. Their farming, their fishing, their, their, their way in which they lived, how to keep warm, how to, how to live off the land. We knew how to live, thank you very much, Mr. Wampanoag. And... Uh, we buried half of the people. And out of that came, of course, now today, this incredible superpower nation, United States of America. But it came from those humble beginnings. And what, it, what struck me as we sat in what this chief's hut was actually if, if, to, reach the, to reach that nation, to do more in that nation, they had to understand the very way in which to live in that nation required. They had to become like those indigenous people. They had to learn the language. They had to learn those cultures. They had to learn what it was. And I want to talk this morning about how you and I are called by God to incarnate Christ into the world that we live. We're not to be removed into some sort of ghetto, into some religious club where we remain aloof to our world, but actually we are to engage with our world, we are to learn from our world, we are to speak to our world in order that Christ may be made known. And I, I think today we, in New Frontiers, we are fairly small, uh, fairly unknown, but I believe in this next generation, as God is releasing more apostolic ministry, uh, we have nations to affect and we have churches to plant. And so the theme of this first talk we're going to look at this morning is Christ uh, formation. And I want to just read some uh, verses from the Bible. I want to start with uh, the, the, what we call the Great Commission in Matthew's Gospel. Um, in Matthew 28, Jesus said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, therefore go and plant churches. No, he said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
the imperative, if you ever, I grew up in a church where the imperative in this, in this verse was, therefore, go. And of course, we know, actually, the imperative isn't on the word go, the imperative is on the word make disciples. It's assumed that, basically, if we translate this rightly, as you are going, make disciples. There's no sense of an us and them. Some are staying, some are going, the keenies are going. I grew up in a church which was a barnacle church. Every Sunday, the preacher would come and try and get the barnacles off the bottom of the boat, and us barnacles would stick firmly to the bottom of the boat because we did not want to go on this mission. We wanted to stay nice and safe on the bottom of the boat in the church. And the imperative every Sunday was go, go, go. But actually, no, all Christians, all believers are going. But the imperative is, are we making disciples in our going? And that's the question really I want to ask you. But I want to use the words Christ formation because the words discipleship carry too much baggage. If I was to talk about discipleship, we immediately get bogged down by good, bad and indifferent discipleship that we've experienced. But Christ's formation is, is an apostolic priority. In Galatians uh, chapter 4, Paul says this, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. It's an apostolic heart that we as communities, as individuals, but also as communities, the churches we build, are like Christ, become more and more like Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 1, I want to keep in Ephesians for this talk, it says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, I want you to stand on your feet. I want you to turn to the person next to you and ask a simple question. There you go. You can stand. Turn to the person next to you and ask this, answer this question. How many bodies does Jesus have? And take, take 10 seconds. <laughs> <coughs> Okay, take a seat. You stretch your legs. Okay, now, I'm not going to call out for answers. Obviously, we believe there, that Jesus uh, was bodily resurrected. 
with a new body and ascended to the Father's right hand. We believe there is flesh and blood in heaven that ever lives to intercede for us, don't we? That's our great confidence, our great high priest. But we also believe in 1 Corinthians 12 that when Paul writes, you are the body of Christ, writing to Corinth, that he wasn't saying you are like the body of Christ. He wasn't using another analogy, he was actually writing a truth that we are, as a local church, the body of Christ. So Christ, in all his glory, in all his manifestation on earth, is now risen and now empowering his body on earth, as Jeremy was talking about, to be Christ to our places of church living. We are to be Jesus Christ. The goal of the Christian life, Rick Warren says this, is Romans 8.29. Now we know Romans 8.28 because we've memorised it. We know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him. But 29 says this, Those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words... Every local church, every church we represent in Bolton, in Halifax, in Manchester, in our community is meant to resemble and to do the works that Jesus did in his physical life here on earth. To preach good news to the poor, to comfort those who are afflicted to bring about the power of God, to resurrect the dead, that blind eyes may open. We are to be, and we need to be reminded of this, because God is forming us to be more like Christ. We are to be Jesus Christ where our church communities gather. And that takes a a sense of faith and a sense of expectation that what God has begun is ongoing in terms of being Jesus to our communities. Christ's formation, a description of discipleship, takes the discipleship out of the common vernacular and directs us towards our greatest objective, which is to replicate Jesus in every town, in every village, in every city community, in every nation, in every ethnos right across the world. And that is what I believe is the apostolic heartbeat. So I want to just talk on that this morning and I want to uh, bring some sort of practical application. I think Jeremy was dead right. I think sometimes when you can talk a lot of theory, uh, what does that actually mean in practice is very important. So we'll get to the practical uh, in a little while. But I just want to start by saying this. I think the first thing it teaches me when you read about Christ's formation, when you read the book of Ephesians in chapters 1, 2, 3, you read incredible theology about the church and the body of Christ I think the most important thing to say at this point in time in terms of our expectation as we think of our future, as you go away and you spend time as leaders thinking about what's the next great adventure, the big map that God has for you, I think the most important thing for me to say is it's organic, not mechanic. Christ's formation is not mechanic. I know we can get, because there are verses built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, We're living stones being built into a holy temple. We can get quite mechanical about church life, church growth, 
church leadership principles. We can, we can think if you do this and do this, and we, we, we're quite good at building small groups, and we, we, we know how to do our leadership programs, we know how to, how to do discipleship, we've got some of that in place, that actually if we do an alpha program, then a beta, then somehow this body, this, the church will emerge and be like Jesus. But actually, it's much, much more than education. It's much more than just information becoming Christ-like. Church growth books and experts, and I've sat and read many of these things myself, might lead us to believe that BB plus MS plus FL times pounds equals growth. (laughs) Big building plus multi-site plus fantastic leaders times money and you will automatically get growth. That's not true. We are the body of Christ. The local church is the body of Christ. It's Christ that, that, that Christ in the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit, this Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, who is at work in us, that actually brings forth fruit, brings forth the life of God. So we must not think of church buildings, church growth, in ways that are mechanical and that, do you know, how do, how do we get a church from 50 to 100 or 100 to 200? Well, we need to mechanically do this and it will happen. I, 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 think, that's, I think there are structures that can help growth, but actually the structures themselves never make growth. It's abiding in Christ. It's abiding in the vine. That's where the life comes from and that's where we must root ourselves. I think also it, uh, aligned with this is we are, we are not professionals. I need to say that to a group of leaders and wives in the room because I think we subconsciously are quite happy to believe that church growth is all about us and leaders. And you can walk into a room, can't you, and you might have done it already, how's your church going? And the first answer we want to give in that is the size answer. It is. Or a money answer. How's your church? Well, I just want you to know, I'm doing a building project. We just had a gift day, 200,000. <laughs> As if somehow we've, we've manufactured that. Or we've seen 50 saved on our alpha court. I mean, we can get into a sort of... Can't we? And, we, and somehow it makes us feel... As if, you know, for the rest of us, it's like, oh, rat. <laughs> 50 on your alpha course. God, we're lucky we've got three, and one of them's a monkey because it's a pet of the person who's bringing. You know, <laughs> howler. We are not professionals, and we must resist because if we, this laity, uh, sort of clergy laity distinction's been in the church for donkey's years, and it still exists. And we can still encourage members that think, oh, we've got a pastoral problem, we've got a huge issue, leave it to the experts, leave it to the professionals. They'll sort it out. In which case, the church has had it. If it rests up to us, let's be honest, what was the scripture? Not many wise. I mean, <laughs> the Bible doesn't un- understate that. I mean, it's a true, there, you know, I've been around a lot of time, there's not many of us, and I'm including myself, by the way, very much in this, who are wise by human standards. Not many rich and influential. God shows the foolish things. Amen. It's the foolish things. And if you are a leader, 
then please don't be coming here at a conference thinking, oh, I just need a few more tools to be able to somehow, somehow do something different that's going to somehow build the church and I'm going, to, I'm going to sort of win the day and bring it through. No, Jesus is the one who builds his church. He's the one who wins the day. Our duty, our responsibility is to abide in him and to draw our strength from him and to refuse to be pushed by others into something that we actually cannot perform or do. You know, I, I, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. You know, I can remember, I can remember we saw a prisoner saved in Winchester and uh, this guy was leaning on members of the church, uh, borrowing money from them. There's a huge amount of money owed uh, by this guy to members of the church and we got it as elders. This is an eldership matter. The elders weren't going to sort it out. I was a young elder then. A young elder, I knew, I knew everything as a young elder. <laughs> you know, God, Greg, you ought to get down there. You ought to read the right act. You ought to discipline him. This is what the Bible says. This is what Greg goes to me, right, off you go. You go and tell him. I said, that wasn't what I had in mind. I, I, I thought, seniority, you know, you're the senior guy, I'm happy to tuck under you. <laughs> he says, you need to go around there, everything you've said, you need to say to him face to face. And it's like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> this guy, by the way, was, you know, what Rob was saying, broad, tall, I mean, he was one of these guys. And went down and went into his, his house and said to him, it's funny, when you're nervous, your voice goes up that four octaves, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it literally was like that hello he said to me I said to him you've been doing this and we've heard about it and they're not happy about it and you need to pay the money back I said it very quickly in a high voice <laughs> he, said, he said to me I'll give you 10 seconds before I kill you to get going one beep beep I was out the door I was out the door I was running praise God we were in a prayer meeting we got back so I joined the prayer meeting, hallelujah, Jesus is Lord. And uh, as we carried on praying, there was a psst at the door and this guy was at the door. So I said to Greg, he wants to speak to you. <laughs> Straight up. So Greg was a bit annoyed. Greg went to the door. As he went to the door, this guy hit a fire extinguisher and sprayed... Co- it was like Snowy the, Snowy the Clown. Greg was covered from top to toe in foam. <laughs> And without a word of a lie, the prayer meeting carried on fine. <laughs> it did. Greg disappeared and then there was a psst and I thought, oh no. It's my turn. <laughs> so two, two, two snowmen that morning. See, Actually, we didn't have a clue. Greg and I didn't have a clue. What we needed to understand is that actually it's not the professionals that can sort all the problems of the church out and have all the answers. We equip that it's Jesus' body that ministers and needs to minister to the needs of our communities. We can't say, let's let, let the leaders do it and the church will go. No, we are there as the body of Christ, as living, active parts of the body that needs to empower that body to be Jesus to its community and to be everything that that, that community needs. So it's not organic. 
So it's not mechanic, it's organic. And uh, Jesus put it like this in terms of, of his body life. He said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. See, Jesus, when, 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 when Nicodemus comes with all these questions, his theological questions, you're a man of God, etc., Jesus says, look, if you to understand something of my kingdom, if you're going to understand something of the, the plans and the, and, the, and, 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 and the incredible power that's going to be released through my kingdom into this world, you need to understand it is not birthed in the heart of man. It is not something that you can learn. You need to be born again. And I want us to, just to think of how important it is to understand biology when we come to think of church. And we need to get this right into the sort of very DNA of our lives. Imagine, if you would, 20 million swimmers on, uh, lining Dover. And uh, they're gonna, th- th- their charge is to swim the English Channel and to arrive in France. Except the English Channel isn't water, seawater, it's glue. And so the whistle goes, 20 million swimmers dive in and they're swimming and they're swimming and then one makes it to the other side and plants the flag in France. That's how every one of us in this room began our life. <laughs> Just think about it. <laughs> Some of you still haven't got it. Now, not, none of us remember that moment. None of us remember the day that our mother wonderfully gave birth to us in, in our ward. But some of us have had the joy of having children. And uh, that's quite a few of us, I would imagine, in this room. And, oh, I mean, just isn't it a stressful moment? I mean, I was so stressed on that. You know, we've had four kids... And uh, I can remember Heather was just lying there, but I was walking. (laughs) Seriously, I was walking up and down. England England were playing the ashes on the first one. I was really stressed out. I was stressed out. You know, I was worried about the car parking. I was saying to Heather, how much long is this going to take? Do I need to put another pound in the meter? This is really stressing me out here. I mean, she's on the gas and air, and I'm just... On number three, I fainted. I mean, I got so stressed, I fainted. I had three midwives on me, one on Heather. I mean, that's how stressful <laughs> it was. But the truth is, when you actually take one of those beautiful little babies in your arms, uh, and there's someone walking in the back doing such a thing, you look at that precious little life, and you think, actually, it's only just begun. This is, this is when the real work now begins of a mum and a dad in terms of trying to shape and trying to nurture and trying to give everything that young life needs in order for it to grow up, to be an individual, a chip off the old block like mum and dad, but a, a blessing to the world in which, it, which he or she lives. Now, when we think like that and we think local church like that, we begin to understand something of Christ's formation. You see, when a church plant is, is, is shared about, it's so exciting, isn't it? You know, we're into Halifax, praise God, Steve's pressing, wow, you know, we, we're going to Huddersfield, we've, we're doing here. It gets really exciting to hear new life. But actually, that new life, once it started, and once 
it's only just begun. And actually the real work is usually in the teenage years of a church. Do you know that? How many of you know that sort of, it's great fun with young children, they seem so pliable, it's good with the new church, it's, you know, they're so accepting of apostolic ministry. Do you find that, Jeremy? You know, when they're three or four years old, come on in, oh, it's such a blessing. I mean, when they get to teenage years, you suddenly become the village idiot. You do. I mean, you, you move from being the wise one to the village idiot. I've, got, I've had four teenagers. I know what it's like. But the truth is, we have to take them through teenage years to being self-reproducing, having the families of their own. That's the objective. Ephesians 4 Ministries doesn't say, you know, birth new churches. Apostolic ministry just births these new churches. Ephesians 4, what does it say? It says that we might grow up into him, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. No longer infants, tossed backwards and forwards, blown here and there, but speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, here we are again, we're into biology, not into mechanics, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, that's what we're about. The glorious church. What is the hope of our nation? The church. We want to plant hundreds of churches, don't we? Whether we're North, South, whether we're Christ Central, Commission Catalyst, we want to plant hundreds of churches because we want to make Jesus known. But planting the church is not the end, it's the beginning. An apostolic ministry, Ephesians 4 gifts, are there to help the churches grow up to be Jesus in their communities, in their, in their northern communities, in their multicultural communities, with the languages, with the food. We are to be Jesus in those communities so we might look differently, we may have different coloured skin, we may speak different languages, but we are, we are Christ-like, Christ-formed to shape those communities and to bring God's kingdom here on earth. That is the objective. Now I want to ask you this very simple question. Who is it that has most shaped your life as a Christian yourself? Who, who is it that has most input your life towards Christ's formation? Just take a few minutes to think about it. Most of you who have grown up in Christian homes will say your mum or your dad, which is the wonderful heritage of growing up in a Christian home. I wasn't brought up in a Christian home. Heather was. Heather would often say, oh, I haven't got much of a testimony. I'll tell you what. If you've been born in a Christian home, it's a huge privilege. It's a massive, massive privilege. It takes so much for granted. But think on top of that, who else? In fact, again, just take a minute to talk to somebody next to you and say, who is it that has most shaped your life to encourage you to grow up as a Christian, to become more Christ-like and the person you are today? Just take a minute to talk to a person next to you. (laughs) Okay. 
For me, it was a man called Greg Haslam. Greg Haslam took hold of me when I was uh, in my 20s, certainly. Uh, and he said to me, uh, he, he could see uh, something of uh, a gifting in me, wanted to encourage me, and he got me to, be, to reading. I, 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 he said to me at the time, How many, what, what books do you read? I said, the Beano, the Dandy. Uh, that was probably my level. To be honest, it wasn't much beyond that. Um, and he said, right, we're going to get you into reading. And I thought, never in a month of Sundays. I'm not a reader. Uh, I have five or six books on my uh, bedside cabinet. I love reading. I'm always reading. It was a man who said to me, I, I will help you to become more like Jesus. Um, and I think I, I, when I had a, a sort of a moment several years ago and thought, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? I thought, what I want to do is what Greg, I was privileged with Greg giving me two years of sort of focused time, pouring his life into me. I want to do that for seven, ten, twelve guys myself. And uh, I, I've done that. I've had people living in my home. I've poured my life into young guys. Five or six now, elders and leading churches in Madrid and Porto, around the world. I believe we need all of us as leaders to think Actually, it's not preaching sermons on a Sunday. That's only the first rung on the ladder of discipleship. We need to intentionally, very intentionally, lay hold of men. You ladies with your gifts, your leadership gifts, lay hold of women and pour your life into them because that's the way in which we will produce Christ in our communities and replicate Christ in many more churches being planted. Now, how many of you like jigsaw puzzles? Okay, not many. Okay, we're, we're doing a jigsaw puzzle at the moment, thousand piece. I mean, Heather and I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Heather and I are a good team. I mean, what we, what, what we do with a thousand piece, I usually put in about ten pieces. Uh, Heather does the rest. And I, I normally look for the bright colours on the jigsaw and put that li- little simple... I can do the cat there, that's quite good. Um, there, we, we are... We're a good team, Heather and I, and we'll talk about that later on, but... I want to, God's been speaking about the big picture this morning. I don't know if you've picked that up. And the edge pieces is a church plant on God's thousand piece <coughs> jigsaw. And I think many of us stop on the edge pieces. Many of our churches are too small because we've given up just with the edge. We've got some leadership, we've got an eldership now, we've got a... We've got the worship team. We've got a few small groups. It looks okay. No, it's nothing like the picture on the box. And uh, there's a big picture for Christ Central. Uh, I want to just pray that and prophesy that. I feel, here's some prophetic in which you need to weigh. It's one of the glorious things about coming away at weekends. You can just leave everybody else to weigh it. I believe the, the picture on the box is a world map. Okay? I believe, I believe God would speak to you at Christ Central saying, the nations are on the heart of God. And you've, you've filled in a few, you know, you've done a little, a little bit of Norway, you've put a few pieces in there. You've, you've actually done quite a bit of the UK and it looks good. Um, you're into Canada and that's developing and that's beginning to shape up. But there's a world out there, Zambia. Yeah, we're filling some... We actually didn't know we were going to go to Africa. Actually, there's a load of places that even in this room are on the hearts of men and women that God says are very important pieces for the big jigsaw puzzle. 
And I believe God would say, faithful in little, faithful in much. I believe God would say to you that the north, where you are going to be predominantly out of, is a, a, a land which is snowbound. I believe it's, it, it's like I can see a, a picture in my mind's eye of the north being covered in snow. The, the highways are, are, are down to single lane traffic, even though they're meant to be motorways, and there isn't mobility. And I believe God would want to help you and instruct you. I, I, I could see, I mean, obviously I pray a lot before I come away on these weekends. I could see um, Tony, I could see you, I could see Steve. I could see you in, in massive snow plows. I could see you opening up, opening up the roads uh, to release many people. I don't believe this is a word which is about your ministry and, and about what you're going to do. I believe it's about letting go lots and lots of other gifts. I mean, Roger By as well. I, I could just see you guys enjoy, it wasn't hard work, it was risky work, but enjoy going up the M6, the M62, M61 and starting to open up the highways of the north. And the highways of the north were releasing huge amounts of traffic and huge amounts of resource that was travelling right across, pushing up into Scotland. And I also saw as I was praying into this, for Steve in... in in Huddersfield, I just felt that actually right down that M62, I could see like fairy lights being lit. I could see like little lights. It was like strawberry runners, like little lights coming right the way down. And I felt there was a sort of an apostolic mandate for quite speedy, multi-site, church planting, running like fire down uh, the M62. But I felt also, Jeremy, that there were other lights being lit along the M6, well, all the motorways, which were different colours, not white lights, not the way you've always done church plan, not the way you might be thinking today, but new colours, reds and blues and yellows, which I think in the spirit as I was praying into it before I came, represented big churches, some, some, some will be big churches, some will be very international churches, very different from anything you've done before, and and a way of doing church, churches that you are going to learn in this next year as God takes you on in, into his classroom about how you're going to do it. I believe there's going to be a, a rapid expansion, but there's also going to be colour that is coming that will just lighten up. And I believe it's the colour of the nations. It's the colour of many gifts. It's the multiplied nature of the, the beauty of the church that's going to be released. Men and women in ministry. And it's going to be ministry that's come into our nation, but it's also ministry that's going to go out into the nations. And I believe that's going to be a characteristic of your next phase of Christ Central. People, other gifts that you haven't even thought of, will come and join their heart with you, partnering with you, and you're going to do some incredibly bold and brave things in cities. But also, that that colour being exported into the nations of the world. And there's a sort of like a two-way highway. So I believe, as I was praying into this before I came, I believe God would say, you, here in Christ Central, you've just done the first carriageway of what God is going to do. And there is a multiplied growth and release of ministry and life right across the north, but across England and into the nations of the world. So I just want to share that with you. Um, 
Dan and Rachel, are you in the room? Dan, you're there, aren't you? I just feel, uh, I feel that for you in Sheffield, I feel that God would say, I'm going to turn the church inside out. I feel the first will be last and the last will be first. I feel from one man ministry it's going to become many multiplied ministry. From being a pastoral mindset it's going to become evangelistic mindset. The church is going to grow right across the city. It's going to become one of those big, big centres of the presence of God. Not just famous for the Word of God. I don't believe this is countering the Word of God. I believe it's going to be the presence of God. It's going to be the power of the Spirit. It's going to be signs and wonders following. And I think whatever footpaths have gone before, whatever ways has gone before, you must not ever be constrained by it, but allow it, just the thinking of turning the world upside down, turning the church inside out from internal looking to becoming incredibly external looking. And I believe God would just want to encourage you that he is giving you gifts, he is giving you money, he will give you all the resources you need to make Jesus known in that city. So, God has a big picture and we must understand that our local church is his own little jigsaw puzzle and it is a 500 piece, a thousand piece. Every member must find its place if we are to become mature, Christ formed in the way Christ wants us to be. And so I pray that as I'm sharing this, you are getting faith for your local church. You're not thinking, oh, we're there, we're, we've got to 50, we've got to 200, cool, we're doing quite well. No, unless every part, every jigsaw piece has found its connectivity in the whole and its connectivity in its community, you haven't got to where God wants you to. It is Christ formation. And so, Ephesians chapters 1, 2 and 3 are the great theological apostolic statements about the truth and the nature of the God we worship, the glorious gospel and the nature of the church. But Christ's formation is practical. I don't know if you ever realise this. When you come to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, there is a word there translated in your Bibles, worthy, which is the Greek word axios, which is the pivot the turning point. And if you like, when you read your, your Ephesians, the great theology of Ephesians 1, 2 and 3 is then taken and said, how does he put it? As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life, axios, worthy of the calling you have received. The great theology, the greatest theology we, 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 we can imbibe from brilliant Bible teachers and scholars can just be nothing but empty head knowledge if it's not then outworked on the anvil of chapters 4, 5 and 6. What it means for families, what it means for one anothering, what it means for slaves and masters, what it means in terms of our language. I, I, I read this week, one may be as straight as a gun barrel theologically and as empty as a gun barrel spiritually. See, it's doctrine and life. It's word and spirit. Jesus says, Blessed are you in hearing these words of mine today if you put them into practice. 
Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So Christ's formation actually has a practical application for every single believer in your church. Holiness is not the optional extra for the few. It is the the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit for the whole. How do we become more like Jesus? We don't have to just understand more, although the Spirit will lead us into truth. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit and not just, if I might say this, sometimes you have lots of books written on powerful Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence, uh, you know, spiritual fire, and all the stuff that we love and we do want. But actually, you don't get many books on the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church, in the life of every individual, to become more like Jesus in the way in which we love, in the way in which we speak, in the way in which we are gentle and kind to one another. The objective of the church is to be like Christ. Little Jesuses, I think uh, think Jeremy mentioned it, Acts 11, the whole thing of Antioch, that's the nickname they got. It was a nickname, it was a bad name, the word was calling the church, but actually it's, it's stuck. Christian. We need to remind ourselves, it means that people were so... All you could get from this community was Jesus, 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 Jesus. Christ was central to these communities that actually got the nickname, like little Jesuses. To encounter them, it's like being around Jesus. That's what it's meant to be. And I love... How many of you like C.S. Lewis? I love the screw tape letters. I mean, I just absolutely love screw tape letters. Where, if you haven't read them, a senior demon's writing to a junior demon how to ruin a Christian's life. And this is one of, the, one of my favourite quotes from Screwtape. This is the senior demon writing. One must face the fact that all the talk about his love for man and his service be, bringing perfect freedom is not, as one would gladly believe, mere propaganda, but it is an appalling truth. He really does want to fill the universe with lots of loathsome little replicas of himself. (laughs) That's a brilliant quote. Jesus wants to fill the universe, fill the world with lots of beautiful, Christ-like little replicas of Jesus Christ. That's the objective of our great mission. And Ephesians 4-6 to tells us what the imitation of Christ looks like and I just want to finish very practically on three areas of your life so that actually all of us have got something to go away and think about. The first one of this, it's, it, it will affect your heart or your emotions. Ephesians 5.25, we'll look at the, this, these verses this afternoon. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make a holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Rick Warren says, the most overlooked key in growing a church must be the love for unbelievers in the way in which Jesus loved them. Jesus loved people and they felt it. It is the most repeated New Testament command mentioned 55 times, love one 
another. So, Jesus talked about one of the unique differences between his followers and the world around this. By this will all men know you are my disciples if you love one another. Where does this love spring from? You know, you watch the parents, the little babies. What are parents saying to little babies all the time? I love you, I love you, I love you. We love because he first loved us. Ephesians, when it, I, mean, I, I, I don't know if you try and memorise these verses. I, Ephesians 1, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Jesus came on a mission to rescue us from the slavery of sin, not to become servants, but become sons and daughters of the living God. God invites us and makes the way freely available for us to come right into his presence as sons and daughters of the living God. Who we are in Christ is so, so important. If we are to reach out to the world and love a world, we must first understand that we are loved, that God is for us. We are not doing a job as leaders for God. We're not trying to perform a job description and come back with ticks and you're doing okay and a bit better there. We are sons and daughters of the living God. And we need to be reminded to draw strength that we are loved in an eternal way. We've been predestined. God didn't think up this a few minutes ago. Well, when we got saved, oh, okay, you can come in. A bit short on numbers. Yeah, you can add, to, add it to the team. You can be on the reserves bench. I've got a few goodies, but in case someone falls out, you'll do. No, God predestined us. He, he set his love upon you and I from eternity past and he'll love us for eternity future. That love is not diminishing day by day. That you can't, he can't love us any more than he did on that day we understood his love and, and, and in eternity future where we still are just standing in grace and saying he loved us because he loved us because he loved us. Yeah. Now if we don't understand that, we don't have love for a world which is enslaved by the great orphan maker, Satan himself. The love that is going to break the slavery of sin and, and melt the hardest heart in our communities is this incredible love, the love of the Father, the Father heart of God. You see, I became a Christian at 15 years old, just before I was 16. Already I was a car crash, spiritually, emotionally, everything else, where my parents were saying, this guy is seriously damaged through a set of circumstances we don't need to go into. And then... I heard the gospel. I heard the gospel and when I heard the gospel I believed and when I believed I was filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the vicar who prayed for me said, now you need to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. I had no idea what that was. I said, whatever it is, I'll have it. He laid hands on me. It was like standing under a waterfall of light. Liquid gold was poured into my heart. I got up off my knees and I knew... God loved me. God loved me. And we need to, all our ministry needs to flow out of that first assurance that we are loved 
by Almighty God, that we're secure in His hands. So, so important. I mean, Les Miserables is a, is a great prophetic film for our nation, or for the church in our nation, because the church is miserable, by and large. Yeah, it is. The church is going through the motion. They're doing the duty. They're the, they're the, they're the, the older brother in the prodigal son. All these years we're slaved with you. Good grief, look where it's getting us. But we are the younger son. We know that we've been forgiven much and therefore we love much. And therefore we sing like Jean Valjean. I am not 24601. Who am I? I'm Jean Valjean. And we sing it out, out of who we are. We need to let that heart cry be heard in our evangelism. Evangelism, by the way, Begun in the mind only reaches the mind. Evangelism begun in the heart changes people. Changes people. Had the most incredible testimony last Sunday from Heather's well, lady. Heather, Heather does a ministry, has done for many years to rescue ladies on the red light area. And last Sunday we, we had a baptism and this lady stood up and she said, however many years, ten years ago, this woman called Heather stopped and week after week, month after month, would stop, give me stuff to eat and what have you, and pray for me. And right back then, God began a work. And years later, she's just given her life to Christ. She's filled with the Spirit, most powerful testimony. But it's the love of Almighty God that got hold of her. And we, if we are to, if we are to become more like Christ, we must begin with our hearts, not our minds. We must allow our hearts to be filled with the love of God. The Holy Spirit does that. Minds are very important though. Secondly, so hearts first, minds second. Ephesians 4, uh, 20. You didn't come to know Christ this way. Surely you have heard of him. Paul is being a bit sarcastic here. We're taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off. Minds are important. Babies have minds like sponges, don't they? When you go over to visit the packets in Porto, you'll, you'll, you'll realise that Annie and Lucy's mind are like, sort of like Teflon with language. They, they can't remember a, a Portuguese word, you know, ten minutes after they've learned it. I mean, and their kids' minds are like sponges. It's the children that learn the language. I mean, by the way, they're doing really, really well, but... For the first few months and years for, for Lucy and the other Andrew and Lucy and Andrew, it's like so hard to learn this language. Little tiny children, when they are born again, when people are born again, they have minds like sponges. They want to know the truth. And we've got to help them and, and, and teach them, not with a blog or a download or a soundbite or a multimedia clip, not even by watching the God Channel with Joyce Meyer, Benny Hinn. If we, if we ed- leave the education of the babes in Christ to these means, they will become consumerist shoppers whose old way of thinking and lifestyle will be largely unaltered. They will pick and choose and gradually, as they become teenagers, become hard to any objective truth that challenges the way in which they think and live. You know, if you go to India, particularly North India, Northeast India, 
first time I went to Northeast India, you say, I'd like a curry. <laughs> I like Indian, I like a curry. Give me a curry. They put, what, what curry would you like? I'd, like? I'd like a chicken curry. They put the whole bird in the curry. I mean, we're used to nice chunks of meat. You know, go to our local Indian restaurant, I have an Indian, and you get nice big thick bits of meat. In northeast India, you get the whole bird, beak, feet, everything, everything's in, apart from the feathers, everything is in the curry. And you've got to learn to pick out and pull out bones and beaks and everything else if you're going to enjoy and not get bits stuck in your teeth, enjoy the bird. Now, why do I say that? Because I'll tell you why. Because we have so systematised the Bible, we've so sanitised the Bible, we've so soundbited the Bible, that what we're often giving new Christians is not the Bible. We ha- you have to let new Christians come to you with the questions of, that. well, we don't... Well, can you explain the... I mean, this young, this young woman who's just become a Christian, this friend of Heather's, can you explain the Trinity? No. Can you explain it? It's good. It's good that there's these contradictions. It's good that there's these hard things to grapple with and we need as pastors and leaders to not try on Sunday to try and systematise. I don't like systematic theology because it's not biblical theology. It's not saying this, it's not giving the whole gamut as it should be. Putting the whole bird in the curry. So when you are preaching, please, this is an appeal, an apostolic appeal, Jeremy, I'm sure, would echo it. Please don't try and simplify what the Bible doesn't simplify. Please allow there to be huge amounts of questions people can go away with thinking, wow, God is pretty awesome. I don't understand God. He's just, wow. The God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, wow. Romans 12, spiritual transformation is done in the power of the Holy Spirit, yes, but it's done by the transforming and the renewing of our minds. J. John, when he became a Christian, his parents said to him, sounds like you've been brainwashed. And he said to his mum, mum, if you knew what was in there before, you'd be pleased I've been brainwashed. (laughs) And finally, I'll, I'll be speeding out on language. Let me just talk about language because if you are to be serious about Christ's formation, you want to grab a person's heart, you want to educate their minds and help their minds and you must understand that actually what comes out of a person, what they say, is truly what's going on inside. Do you remember when Jesus said that about the Pharisees? You clean the outside, but from the inmost being, what comes out of a person's mouth is what defiles. Ephesians 4 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. It's, um, it's just a truth that we have to use language to convey uh, information and we, underst- we understand that actually the way in which we use words sometimes can carry wrong meanings and therefore we have to learn how to speak in a way that communicates. If you do any cross-cultural work, you'll understand what I mean. Because in India, uh, we were joking about this in India recently, in England, when we go, hmm, that's not bad. In in England it means, that's blooming good. But for an Indian, they hear us go, well, that's poor. In in, in UK, if we say to an Indian, you must come over for dinner, 
In the UK, that means I'm being polite. You're never going to get an invite. <laughs> but the Indian thinks, I will get an invite in the next week or two. That's how, they, how, how you translate. Or in the UK, if I say, I'll bear that in mind, it means I've forgot already. <laughs> but Indian, they think, well, he'll, he'll, he'll remember that. And so, we have, to, we have to understand, if we are to be Christ to our world, what we say needs to come from the heart constraint of love with our minds renewed by the Spirit but in a way which is going to be helpful and building others up. Experts like Tim Keller call it the contextualisation of the Gospel. All I'm saying here today is if we are to see our churches grow, if we're going to see this community built up in love and to become all that it should be, then what we are saying, how we are saying it, is an, is, expresses what's actually going on in the, in the heart beneath the surface. So it's not what is said on a Sunday, it's what the person's saying when he goes home from a meeting, what person's, how a person's speaking to his wife or speaking to his children. There's a lot of double talk, there's a lot of hypocrisy. And the Ephesians warns us that actually Christ's formation, we are looking at what comes out, helping people to look what comes out of their mouth is being very important about what's going on on the inside. So let me just finish by saying this. The Pilgrim Fathers, that small group of them, were responsible for seeing a nation changed. A whole nation opened up through the few little seeds of their faith and their faithfulness. But they had to learn what was going on in the nation they were trying to reach. They had to learn how to adapt and to adopt ways of lifestyle. If we are to affect the Britain in the way I believe we're called to in New Frontiers, if we are to affect the nations in the way which God is calling us to, we must realise that Christ's formation begins at home. This is a word that isn't sort of like, when we go to the nation, we're going to tell them how to live. This is big, we are to be Christ to our world. And therefore you need, please don't hear a message like this and think, well, somehow subliminally I will now do it. You need to be intentional about this. Jesus said, make disciples. So the question I want to ask you, just bow your heads for a few minutes, just ask this question of yourself. Leaders make leaders. There is no success without successors. Who men, who women are you intentionally thinking about right now that you need to get hold of and you need to disciple? What will you do with this word in terms of the church? Do you see every member vital to the health of the body? If you do, are you making sure every member is equipped for their work of ministry because that is the leader's call. Lord Jesus, we believe there is much, much more to be done in our nation. We pray for our nation today. We ask God have mercy on this nation of Britain. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would enable us together as we link hands across a nation to plant more churches. We pray there'd be blazing beacons of your glory as your spirit falls. 
But we pray too that they would be Jesus Christ to every part of our varied multicultural community that's in Britain. And I pray today, Lord, for pastors and teachers. I pray those who are tired come into a conference like this just a little bit. Wow, it's hard work. I pray, Lord, give them your spirit. Give them your encouragement. Enable them, Lord, as they go back to realise actually it's not about how many people come on a Sunday morning or how many people on an Alpha course or how big's your budget. Lord, it's about abiding in Christ. It's about doing as we abide in you. It's being fruitful in the way that only you can bring fruit. And I pray, Lord, that our desire, our deep desire for our local churches as elders and wives here this time would be that, Lord, we would be Jesus Christ to our cities, our villages, our towns. And, Lord, that we would not neglect every member ministry in our desire to go and do more. Lord, we would equip the saints for their work of service. That, Jesus, our churches would really have a reputation in heaven and in hell. That that is a place to encounter Jesus Christ. To go there is to encounter the resurrected Jesus Christ in all his glory with signs and wonders, with compassion for the poor, with healing and miracles, Lord, and with resurrection life. We pray, I pray for each and every church that in this room today, I pray strengthen these churches, grow these churches and make them more like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.